Thanks to Sana Skin Studio for supporting the No Podcast. Sana is a skin studio that is shifting the relationship with your skin and your products through goal-driven facials, real guidance, and clean skincare. Stay tuned for our promo code so you can receive $25 off of your first facial at Sana Skin Studio. Welcome to the No Podcast with me, Nikki Spo. Welcome back, you guys. You are listening to The Know with me, Nikki Spo. I'm really glad you're here. Today, we're going to have a serious but much needed conversation. I'm going to start with some questions. I'm going to ask you to go back into your memory bank. Do you remember where you were in April of 1999? Can you think back to that general time in your life? I can. I was wrapping up as a sixth grader at Arvida Middle School in Kendall middle school, super scary. I was definitely scared of middle school. I remember going back to school shopping with my parents and thinking about what the other kids would think of my clothes, if I would like my classes. There were so many new things happening in my life in April of 1999. April 20th, 1999, the Columbine High School Massacre in Littleton, Colorado. Two teens, went on a shooting spree, killing 13 people and wounding more than 20 others before turning the guns on themselves and ending their own lives. The Columbine shooting was at the time the worst high school shooting in U.S. history, and it prompted a national debate on gun control and school safety, as well as a huge investigation to determine what motivated the gunmen. From an article featured on security.org, According to the K through 12 school shooting database, a total of 118 active shooter incidents have been reported at K through 12 schools in the US since 1999. Many of you know from my Instagram and from listening to my episodes that I'm a partner with PillowCube. Through my meetings and conversations with the PillowCube team, I got to know a man named Will Beck. He's based in Utah, nice guy, family guy, creative, smart, really open to my ideas, He was familiar with my podcast. Well, after the most recent horrific school shooting in Texas, Will reached out to me and shared that he went to Columbine High School and was present during the shooting in April of 1999. Today, I have the great honor of hosting Will Beck on The Know so he can share his experience with us, what it was like, and how it has impacted his life. Wherever you stand on gun control, this is a conversation you won't want to miss. It's about humanity, about human experience, about fear, overcoming trauma, making a difference in the ways that you can, and having hope. So let's get started with Will Beck. Okay, Will, I'm super excited to speak with you today. I know you're in Utah, and it's um, early out there. So welcome to The Know. Um, I'm happy you're here. Thanks. Yeah. Nine o'clock. I had to, uh, you know, I got a lot of stuff done this morning though. So for me, it's not super early. You survived the Columbine high school shooting. So first of all, I'm so sorry that you had to endure that as a teenager. And I hold, I want to hold space for you to share your experience now over 20 years later. I know you have a family now and you're, I mean, you're a full grown adult, you know, you're, I mean, we have to be close in age. Um, because I was in middle school when when that happened, and it seems like yesterday, but at the same time, like such a long time ago. So, 
I just want to hold some space for you to recall that experience. Um, and I think it's a really important time that we have these conversations. Yeah. So I am 38 now. And uh, the shooting happened in 1999. So that's 23 years ago. And it is kind of crazy because it does feel like this memory that's etched in my mind forever that I can still vividly see and replay. And I can recall the feeling so palpably and at the same time I'm like wow I was 15 and now I have a 15 year old uh, daughter who's going into my, her sophomore year and it just kind of actually hit me right now that wow that's the exact same age that's the exact same year in school I was when the shooting happened you know you know have, it was in April so it was kind of near the end of the year I was doing track so I was actually had a track meet scheduled for that day and I was eating lunch with some buddies uh, outside of the school. There's this kind of grassy area where a lot of people like to go eat lunch when the weather was great and it was great. It was just a beautiful day and we heard these firecrackers going off and at that end of school year, there's only a couple weeks left for the seniors. So they started having a lot of senior pranks. And so I thought, oh, it's a senior prank. I want to go see it. And then I got up and kind of just walked a few steps over. And I could see at the top of the stairway uh, two guys in trench coats. And I can vividly recall seeing this gun that is like a fully automatic gun with like the banana clip and just being like, oh, my gosh, I've only seen that in movies and uh i thought kind of like is this a joke and then i saw um little like clods of dirt flying up and i was just like oh my gosh he's really shooting and then there was a boy who was probably like seven feet away from me or so and he just dropped to the ground and started screaming he got shot in the knee and then he got shot in the back and it was just so terrifying. And then another one of his buddies got shot. There was like this group of four boys that were kind of walking between me and the shooters. Um, and I saw a couple of them get shot and I'm like, I'm out of here. And I actually ran inside the school. And that might sound crazy, but all the shooting was going on outside. And I was like, well, I'm not going to stick around here. And, if I just turn around and ran, I wouldn't feel safe. There's like no protection, you know? So I ran inside and I was like, my first person I saw was Mr. Sanders and he was my uh, track coach. And I saw him, I said, hey, like there's a shooting going on outside. And he immediately started going into action, just telling everybody to get out, clear, kind of clear the room. And then I ran into another one of my buddies who's on my ba the basketball team with me. And I said to Casey, like, hey, Casey, like, there's a shooting going on right now. Don't go outside. And he's, like, getting ready to go out that door that I just came in. And I was a kind of a jokeful kid, but I don't think that I generally joked <laughs> about school shootings. But he's like, stop BSing me, dude. This isn't funny. And I grabbed his tray that he had his lunch on and slammed it on the ground. I said, this is not a joke, dude. You cannot go out there. And he was just kind of like, what? 
Uh, and then we started to see a few other kids start streaming in. I was the first person from outside. You were the and, first person coming into the, into the school from outside. Mm-hmm. Yep. So like when so I came you in, were okay, like I'm just trying to, to picture this. I mean, you're painting it pretty vividly and it's, and it's, and it's, it's horrific, but you're, so the first shooting is taking place where you are, like the initiation oh, yeah. the, of this so, experience, like not like two minutes in, you're like, this is, you're like in the front lines of the whole situation. Absolutely. So the very front of the front lines, you know, I heard these uh, bullets that were firecrackers and I always just thought to myself, those were firecrackers. And then probably 10 years later, I was like, oh no, that was Rachel Scott and Richard Castaldo who were on the top of that hill. And they were the very first people that got shot. And uh, so he, they shot a little bit at that top of that hill and then they started to come down the hill and we were at the bottom of the hill. And the school is at the bottom of the hill. Well, so the school is a, there's a upstairs and a downstairs and the upstairs, there's an entrance at the top of the hill and in the downstairs, there's an entrance at the bottom. So the hill just kind of goes up with the school. So you mm -hmm. grab your friend, the basketball player, Casey. Yep. Inside. And what do you guys do? I'm like, dude, we need to hide. And I'm still with my other, a few of my other buddies who come inside and we started to see these other people come in just terrified. And there was this moment where like everyone, it was so kind of not peaceful, but it was like a normal lunchtime inside for a while. And it was just like, people were kind of calm and they don't know what's going on outside. Yeah. Right? They're, like just, they're just having no lunch. Idea. And then it was like a trigger of like one second where like fear took over the entire like cafeteria. And that's where I ran. I ran this cafeteria area and then people just started flying out. And I was like, let's go hide in the bathroom. And I thought very vividly there was a shooting uh, before in Oregon. And I won't say the shooter's name, but there was this kid um, and he just went in and he shot five rounds. And that was like the first school shooting that I had heard of. And I was like, wow, that's terrifying. I was actually in Mr. Sanders, my track coach. I was in his classroom when I heard about the shooting. And he turned on the TV and he literally said to me, he's like, wow, this could never happen here. And I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, oh, that was so quick and it was over in a second. Let's just go hide and this thing will be over. And so we went and we hid in this bathroom. And you just we ran inside one of the stalls and all four of us just got up on top of this toilet. So we didn't want them to be able to see our feet if they came in. So we're just hiding. And then... Uh, a little bit of time goes by and I'm saying a prayer like, God, help me get out of the school. And then even scarier, my sister was in the cafeteria. I'm like, I have no idea where she's at. I was praying for her. And no cell just, phones. No, yeah, well, my mom had a cell phone, but she's like one of the few. We definitely didn't have them. Right. Kids know? didn't. Right. We didn't yet. And then uh, we were kind of waiting in there and then all of a sudden, boom bomb goes off, shakes the walls. And it was just like, oh my gosh, like we're being attacked. <laughs> you know, like we, we, I saw two kids, but I was like, maybe they're everywhere. Maybe there's people shooting. You know, I just had no idea whether there was 30 of them. And so I started to get real scared. And then I had this feeling that was like, get out. And I was like, okay, we can't sit here. We can't hide in here. 
We need to get out. And I felt like at the time I was like, this is from God. I was like, hey, guys, we got to go. And so we get out of our stall that we were in. And then we just start walking towards the front or that little like exit out of the bathroom. And I was that was the most scared that I ever was during the whole time. I could be walking into my death right now out here. Like when you're in that uh, that shooting area, I, you don't even have time to be afraid. You know, it's just like you're like reacting. But this was a moment where I was like, I don't know what to do. And then you can think about it. And then as soon as I walk out that bathroom door, another teacher opens up a doorway on the other side. And it was a back door to the stage. It's a place I'd never been. And he's like, come in through here, come in through here. And so me and my buddies and a few other people like run up through that stage area. And we have to like go through this hallway back onto the stage and the stage into the auditorium and then like up the stairs in the auditorium. But we're not running. We're like terrified we're going to run into the shooters, you know. So we're trying to like slowly like, yeah, and like go like from like safe spot to safe spot, you know. And then we get up to the top of the auditorium. And we can hear gunfire actually down the hall from the auditorium. And so we like peek our heads out there and then dart across the hallway and then kind of like get to like a place that we feel safe. And then we just start kind of like tiptoeing down this hall and we get outside the school, but completely on the other side from where we had started. And we actually just sat out there for a few minutes. Like, what do we do? And it Who's was really with you dumb. at this point? Are there other students in the picture? Are there like teachers, yeah, administration? Just students. And there's probably a group of like 10 to 15 kids now. And That's still a small group. Yeah. There's not it's a very not, big group of kids. No, I did not take the path that most people took. We get out there and then we're like, let's run out farther away from the school. And then we run and there's this big fence. There's like six foot tall fence and we're just standing at the fence and there were a lot of girls that were dressed up for track like there were a few in this group and they were wearing mini skirts and i, I just could see them thinking like i don't want to have to climb this fence <laughs> you know it was like a weird thing where we're like we're running away and then uh -oh, what do we do you know um but everyone just hopped the fence and then we just all booked it there's an apartment complex that was like a half mile away we're like, we just need to go there so we can call the police. And I really wanted to call my mom. My mom. I just want to be like, Mom, I'm okay. And you still don't know where your sister is? I have no idea. Yep. I remember my friend had his backpack, Casey. I was like, what are you doing? Why do you have your backpack? It's so dumb. <laughs> like, just leave it. And then, uh, so we're running with it. He's got his backpack on. We get there and I call my mom. And my mom's like, oh my gosh. And was it on the news? Like, it had not even been covered no, at this point. Uh -uh, like, police not had not arrived. Either. Um, I could hear sirens coming. Okay. People had called them um, inside the school. And then my dad, my mom calls my dad and then she calls me, you know, she's like, I'll be there in, a, in a five minutes or whatever. She likes bat out of hell, like coming. And we had this big Navy blue suburban. She's driving up to us um, and she picks me up. There was like a meeting place at the community library, which was, a block away. So we drive up to this community library and I don't even know how we heard that it was the meeting place, but it just kind of immediately became the place where people were meeting. They had some police officers that got there pretty quickly and they started taking it. Like they pull us into a room, be like just write down your story, write down what you saw. 
so I wrote down my story, started talking to other kids. They put a list up of everyone who was there. And then they would, any kid that they found out was okay, they just add to the list. So you could go and look on this list. Oh, is one of my loved ones okay? Is one of my friends okay? And then people started bringing food, just randomly food showing up everywhere. Um, there was a reporter who came, a guy named Dan Abrams, and he like came and interviewed me there. He was there in town for like the John Benet Ramsey. I don't know if you remember that. Wow, yes. And so he's like, hey, I'm going to run over here real quick. And then, you know, so it's just kind of chaotic. Inside the school, I don't know if you remember that teacher, Mr. Sanders, who's my track coach. I went and hid. He went and it's like, I got to tell people in the other part of the school. And so he runs up the stairs, kind of the regular stairways from the cafeteria to upstairs. And then he takes, when he gets out of the stairs, he takes a right and he runs right by the library. And those shooters who are shooting outside, they actually came upstairs next. And so they went upstairs and he ran right into them. And then they, he like turned, started running the other way and they shot him in the back and then they shot him in the neck and he just kind of lay there uh, bleeding out. And then the shooters went inside the library um, one of my, uh, buddies was in a biology classroom around the corner and somebody had found Mr. Sanders and said, Hey, can I get a couple of boys to come in here and, uh, help me get Mr. Sanders into the classroom? He's been shot. And so my buddy goes out there with a couple other kids and then they pull him into the classroom. And one of the craziest things about Columbine is that you would think in a shooting cops would be like, we're going in there and we are going to take control of the situation. They were like, hey, we're going to, you know, form a perimeter, make sure nobody can get away. And then we're going to work on the opposite end of the school and clear classroom by classroom. And so my buddy's in there giving first aid to Mr. Sanders for three and a half hours before anyone even comes into that classroom. And so Mr. Sanders is bleeding out and dying. And when my buddy left, he was still alive. But Mr. Sanders never made it to the hospital. Like he passed away in there. I'm so sorry, um, Will. You know, last night I was um I was just like reading up on the experience again. You know, I was so far away from it when it happened when I was I was in sixth grade and like the details of it are so foggy. So I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm talking with Will tomorrow and I'm reading through like the chronology of this on my own, right? Mm-hmm. And it talks about the 12 students who died and the one teacher. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing Mr. Sanders' name in this article that I'm reading and I'm like, listening to you tell me this story now and knowing that Mr. Sanders was your coach, mm-hmm. it's just, it makes it so real. And I think like I was a dance team coach and I was a teacher in the middle, in an inner city middle school, you know, and it's like in the intro that I like recorded previous prior to starting our conversation, I said that I remember people telling me like, oh no, that's, that's something that happens to other people. It doesn't happen to us. And you just said that when you were referring to like the Oregon shooting is that like, that was just, Back recently, and 
people were telling you like, oh no, 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 that that's over there. Like it's not, it's not going to happen here. Like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And now we see it happening more and more frequently. And it's not something that just happens to other people. And here you are like telling your story and it's just, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's sad. Um, but I think it's a, something that's really important that we actually take the time to tell these stories or if not, it, it almost becomes legend. You know, it's like a myth or a legend and the things that like, if you don't know somebody who went through it, like it's hard. Not to real. Feel yeah. Like it's real. Exactly. Exactly. So what, what wound up happening? Did you find your sister? Yeah. So we went to the, uh, the library. We we're just waiting there and we're trying to call, but every cell phone that people had, were trying to call somebody. And at the time there just wasn't enough bandwidth on the line. So we were getting this like services down, like message. So we couldn't get a hold of anybody. And then my sister, she was in the cafeteria she had no idea what was going on. She, she, people are like saying there's a shooting. She could hear gunfire, but like she didn't see anything. And she's just like running around kind of like, oh, I should go here. And, you know, so she ran towards our, like our foreign language hall, which is still downstairs. And like kind of ran over there. And she's like, where do we go? Where do we go? And so she ran outside of the school from there. And then our church had a little, like what we call our, our seminary class. And it was a building just down the block from our school where we could go for like one hour a day and have like a little church lesson each day. And uh, my sister ran to that building along with like 150 other kids. And so oh, it's wow. a very small, it's like a, it was actually like a, a house that they converted into this uh, little church building. And so they were just packed to the gills in there. And uh, we didn't hear from my sister for probably two hours. Wow. And so we just had no idea, but she finally was able to get through to my mom's cell phone. What grade uh, was she in? She was a junior. She's a year older than a I year was. Year older than you. Mm -hmm. And so it was a while. Like we were on the you know one side of the school, and she was on the other side of the school, and all of the roads were blocked off. So even mm -hmm. being able mm -hmm. to be like, "Let's go pick her up," right? We couldn't. So the yeah. police had cars all around that area so it's like we just couldn't get over there and that house was immediately backed to the school so there's just no way to access it at that point so they had to like exit people from that house and like they were transporting kids on school buses and then dropping them off there were two locations there was the library and then there was an elementary school kind of near my house where they would just drop kids off. And so they dropped my sister off at that uh, elementary school. And so we went over there. This is like, this is all the stuff that's happening in like the day of, right? Like obviously you're telling the story of like yeah. what happened then and there, but that's not really where it ends, you know, with oh, anything traumatic, yeah. like that's not the ending. Like how did you process all of this trauma? Like losing classmates, your coach, at, talking to your parents, like what happened in the aftermath? Yeah, I remember going to bed that night and just thinking, oh my gosh. I can remember that I was wearing this green, like olive green polo shirt. Uh, and uh, I just remember thinking, I was going to my bed, I was like, how is this real life? Couldn't believe it. And I remember waking up the next morning and be like, did that happen? Does this really happen? 
And I just wanted to be around people and like hold my friends and hug them. There was a park nearby the high school called Clement Park. And they just started making like a makeshift memorial there. And it was a huge park. I mean, and there's just flowers and stuff everywhere. People were flying in all from all over the world to like bring flowers and pay their respects. And all of us students, we just, I went there and then just hung out the whole day. <laughs> and then we, they started to have some kind of organized student, uh, like group therapy sessions. We would just kind of come and hang out and they had like an, a, a therapist moderate it. And that was like somewhat helpful. But for me, I wasn't even really ready to let's start healing this. It's like, no, I'm still in the middle of being torn, torn apart. And so the healthiest thing for me was just to, you know, just be hugged <laughs> and just kind of talk to people and just kind of live with them, you know, and my parents exist, right? Like yeah. coexist. I can, yeah. I can and my parents that. were not those people for me because right. I felt like they didn't go through it. Right. They went through their own thing. Yeah. As a parent now, I actually think it would be more traumatic and stressful and I'd feel so like I didn't have any control over the situation. I'd be like, oh, that's worse. Well, it's like secondary trauma, like yeah. in the mental health like sphere there's like the secondary trauma where you don't necessarily experience it yourself, but it's like being a loved one or somebody close, you know, to, to the person who experienced the trauma, like is it has its own form of it. And so, but I felt like they couldn't relate and connect with me. So I, you know, just wanted to talk to my other peers. And that was for, for me, the healthiest thing. Um, two weeks later, you know, we did all kind of just been spending tons of time together as an entire student body. You know, I, I'm not sure, not like every single person was there, but hundreds and hundreds of students are going to the spark all the time. And then we had, they're like, we need to start school back up. These kids need a routine. And it'd been two weeks. And so, but our school was a war zone. That bathroom that I was in, they set bombs off in there. They shot it up. It was completely destroyed. The cafeteria, you they said. You left. Absolutely. Like when you were sit, I, I'm like recalling when you were when you were like telling the part of the, of your story and your experience where you four are standing on top of the toilet and you just you said it yourself like you had this call from God you're like we have to go. Yeah. I mean that really is some God stuff because to hear that that bathroom was destroyed after like it's just it's un it's unbelievable. It's unthinkable. It's like a powerful moment for me because. God plays a big part in my life still uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, but it helps me to be like, I know that God lives, you know, and I can just kind of like build my life a little bit around that um, and that he's aware of me. Uh, and so it is still a powerful thing that I learned from that and I can take with me. But yeah, like I do thank God, like thank you that I was able to survive that. And how do you want me to live my life now? so that I can honor those that weren't, you know, able to survive, that weren't, didn't make it. Uh, Cause I know that they didn't get to have some of them a first kiss or get to be married 
or have kids or go to college, a lot of these great things. And I did. And so it's like, how can I make the best use of my life? And I think that's part of my like most powerful healing is just thinking like, Hey, this life is a gift. Let's do something with it, not waste it. Kind of, there's a time to mourn and then there's a time to move on and say, Hey, you have to live. We have to do something, you know? This conversation is so good, but before we keep going, I want to take a minute to thank our sponsors, Sana Skin Studio. The best way for me to describe Sana is that it feels like coming home. Unlike traditional facials, Sana's facials are rooted in education, and I love this so much. Every experience I've had at Sana has been a chance to learn more about my skin and its needs. I love that the facials are effective while also being accessible enough to be a monthly ritual rather than a yearly splurge. I'm honored to be able to provide our audience with a promo code. Use the code THENOGLOW for $25 off of your first facial at Sana when booking via sanaskinstudio.com. Do you feel like this has, I mean, obviously this has shaped your life, like, but just hearing the way you speak about like this almost like renewed opportunity and the grace that you show your peers who did not survive the experience and what you've taken into your life today, like this has, I mean, been instrumental in the shaping of your personality and your general perspective on life in general. Oh, absolutely. I feel that I appreciate my friendships more because uh, my friends and relationships with people are what pulled me out of that kind of absolute sadness. And I felt lost for a long time. Uh, there's a, you know, in life, you kind of wonder, like, what really matters? Where should I focus my energy and my time? And that priority for me immediately afterwards was just kind of twisted. I didn't really focus on schoolwork. I didn't care about doing well. I was just wanted to just hang out with friends and just not really think about anything else. And those weren't bad things, but I just was distracted and didn't know what to do in life, you know? And uh, I went to college at BYU a couple years later and it was, I was around some really great kids there and they helped me kind of pull me out and just help me like recenter some of my priorities. And uh, it was a, just, you know, sometimes you meet people that are just absolutely there for you. And you're like, wow, I was meant to meet these people. And uh, I went on a mission for my church for two years. So if you see the little guys in white shirts and ties riding bikes around, I was one of those guys. And, uh, kind of just testifying about my experience and my testimony of Jesus Christ and trying to help people, you know, find the gospel and live their lives better. And so during that time of service, I felt tremendously healed and I wasn't focused on myself. I was, you know, every day trying to live to help other people. And that's where I found like the truest healing. And I don't think everybody who goes through a problem needs to go on a mission. But I think when you have tremendous personal pain, 
that rather than focusing on yourself and being a little bit self-centered, that if you're outward centered and focus on like, how can I help somebody else? That's like the greatest. Well, I'm so happy that you, you said that because like even in my own sobriety journey, like I had, I came from my own right place of deep inner sadness, right? For Mm -hmm. my own reasons that are nothing like yours, right? And I was able to crawl out of my sobriety and the 12th step of many 12-step programs is to be of service to someone else who is sick and suffering. Mm -hmm. And the foundation of these 12-step programs is to serve other people. And that's what keeps people sober or out of gambling and or out of whatever it is that you're that they're addicted to mm-hmm. is the act of service and being outside of yourself and making it about other people. And I think that it's a huge, powerful lesson for life, whether that's whether people receive that through their faith, through their religion, through a 12-step program, maybe it's innate in them. You know? It is. It's part of who we are as human beings, I think, that like we were designed to find joy yeah. from helping other people. It's like a, a rule of the eternities, for sure. Can I share one thing that you mentioned about your sobriety journey? And you you said, like, oh, my problem was not at all like yours in a way that I think sometimes people diminish their own personal struggles. And it's like whatever people are dealing with is so real to them and it's so painful and so dark. And it might be a journey that no one else knows about. And it might be a pain that is entirely inside of your head. But when you're going through that, it is just as real and just as painful and just as important. You know, like uh, I've had a surprisingly crazy amount of really tough situations. I was at a McDonald's when it was robbed and, I was beat up and thrown in a freezer. Um, one of my buddies at uh, my uh, my friend Greg, who pulled Mr. Sanders into that biology classroom, he was uh, the Gatorade Player of the Year our junior years in Colorado for basketball. He was an absolute stud, and he was also just a really kind, good guy. But he committed suicide right after our junior year. And I have had these major crazy situations in life. And to be honest, the hardest one for me was actually just my own parents getting divorced. And it's something that happens to thousands and thousands of kids. Uh, And so that's why I say like it's, I've been through Columbine, but my own parents getting divorced was way harder. And uh, so it's like, like, I don't want people to ever minimize their pain and think, well, I didn't go through anything that crazy. It's like, you absolutely went through things and like, it's so different. And so it's like, you know, just be aware that like, you know, you've gone through a lot and like to treat yourself in a way, it's like, hey, I need to heal. And like, but don't, don't ever like minimize, you know? You know, I really appreciate you saying that because it's something that I talk about all the time. Like, and I've shared this on other episodes. It's like I, being a teacher in, in the inner city middle school, like I would hear stories that these kids go through all the time. And I'm thinking, oh, this is horrific. This is horrific. And it's actually a message that I preach a lot is that everybody's trauma is relative, right? Like whatever you're going through is yours. Like it has, it could look totally different or be 
a big thing or a small thing in the eyes of anybody else, but it's all relative to your world and your personal set of experience in their life, right? So something for me can have equal impact as something completely different for you. And it's like, it's, it's wild because it's something that I talk about frequently, Will. Like I, <laughs> I know that message, right? You're saying it and I'm like, I know exactly what you're talking about, but it's, it's just so real when, when somebody else is like saying that to me, you know, like I'm on the flip side of it now. And it's just, I really, really appreciate you saying that. So, you know, I'm sorry for your loss and for your friends. Um, and I, I truly, I can't even, I can't even imagine, you know, like putting, Okay. I can't imagine. I can't imagine putting what it feels like to put one foot in front of the other when you feel like you can't. So I can imagine that. And I know it's so difficult. And sometimes just like being alive and being here and being present feels like you accomplish something. Like mm -hmm. I had like a really, this is so silly. Like it's not, it's not silly, but it's like such a small thing in the sense, like I had a really tough week last week and I remember going to the gym and I was like, it was the only good thing that I did that day. And I'm thinking yeah. like, that was so hard. Like just showing up was so hard. And sometimes that's just the reality of the situation. Showing up is so hard. Like taking one step is so hard. Like standing still can be so hard sometimes. And that's okay. And letting yeah. that be okay. But showing up is so important. You know, it's just, we want to at times quit and just take a break. And when life comes at you, it's important to have that internal dialogue that says, I can do this. Yeah. You know, because like we need to have hope. Not every day is going to be this tough. Uh, you know, the day after Columbine, it was raining and pouring and it was just this gray, dreadful day. And uh -huh. it was so symbolic of how we felt inside of our hearts. But those gray and dreary days, they don't last forever. And I look at my life now and I have this beautiful daughter. She is just everything I could hope for in this 15-year-old. And she's so kind and she's so fun. And she, she's such a caring daughter. I'm like, ah, she's just so good to me. And I have a 13-year-old boy who is such a phenomenal basketball player and he's my buddy he's always like dad let's go play ball let's go shoot let's go do you know and we watch all the games that are going on if there's a cool movie we go watch it together you know he's just my guy and then i have this 10 year old daughter who is so much like her mom she is bubbly and sweet and she will hug me to the point where it like hurts every day and like the silliest thing she has been doing she has like this little scooter and she will when i leave for work and she'll like go outside and just scooter me out the neighborhood so i'll drive slow <laughs> and she just went all the way out the neighborhood and then i'll just be waving and i'll be like oh 23 years later how blessed am i to have these really simple but beautiful things in my life and so when we go through those dark times we can remember like this is what God has in store for you. This is what your life, yeah. and even if you don't believe in God, like your life will have great things. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. You know, I, I was thinking about your family. Like, do you guys have a dialogue around this subject in your home? Yeah. I mean, my kids know intimately the whole situation that happened at Columbine. Uh, they can tell you the story 
you know, I've, I don't always tell every detail of it one, cause sometimes it's painful to go back there. Um, just, it's just hard sometimes, but they'll be like, dad, you didn't tell this part or dad, you didn't, you know, <laughs> uh, cause they've heard me talk about it a lot, but I think talking about it is important for me personally, just to be like, Hey, I'm not afraid of it. It does hurt, but I need to pull it out of the closet sometimes and just kind of address it. So it doesn't just kind of like, well, you know, I don't forget it. I don't want to forget those kids either. You know, and so at the um, 20 years after the shooting happened, it was like a big moment for me where I was like, man, I need to take my kids back and I'm going to show them exactly what happened. And so they opened up the school for uh, survivors on April 20th. And so I went back to the school and I uh, showed my kids, like, here's the exact place where I sat. Here's where the shooters were at. Here's where this kid was shot. Here's where I went. Here's where I saw Mr. Sanders. Here's where I saw Casey. Here's that bathroom. Here's, you know, and just every part of the school on my journey. And then I took them to a memorial that they have nearby the school in Clement Park now. And just went... We brought uh, 13 roses, 13 white roses, and put them kind of at the memorial for each person that passed away. And then I went and I had them read all about each kid. And I told them funny stories that I knew about some of them and just kind of wanted it to be real for them. And it's part of my history. It makes me who I am. I would not be the same person if it wasn't for this. I want my kids to understand and learn from that too. And so I've definitely, you know, opened up that world for them. And I think my kids are like more loving people because uh, they see the pain that people go through. And I think it makes you empathetic when you are aware of that, you know, like everyone has their own battle, you know? And so I've definitely shared that with them a lot. It sounds to me, Will, like you have tremendous hope in your life, like, and I th what I, from what I hear, it's like you find that through the God of your understanding. Um, do you have hope for the future in terms of like, you know, like you think about students and safety and where does your hope stand there? Yeah, that's like a funny question because <laughs> when you look at what we're seeing going on in the world, it doesn't seem like a super hopeful place. Uh you know, looking at the Uvalde shooting and seeing 20-something people be murdered at an elementary school. And, you know, I remember when Sandy Hook happened because my daughter was a kindergartner when those kindergartners were killed. And I just was like, oh, my goodness. Just heartbreaking. And every shooting that happens, I think about the kids and I'm like, or and the parents, I know what they're feeling. I've been there. It's the worst. You're just obliterated. Your whole life is just shut down. And uh, there's so much divisiveness and anger. And it's all about, well, I'm of this political party, or I'm of this group, or I'm of that group. And there's just a lot of groups right now. And I think it's fine to identify uh, I'm like, I'm part of this group. I'm part of that, you know, but 
we can't get in like a warring faction where it's like, you're not invited over here. We can't be front, you know? And I just think there's so much of that, so much anger and hate. And I think a lot of the reasons why these shootings are happening, you know, there's just that shooting on July 4th in uh, Chicago or Illinois. It's like, there's just hatred in people's hearts that is just so deep and mental health problems. There's a lot of different things that contribute to that. But I feel like the main way to overcome that is if every parent loved their kid more. If every kid at school looked for kids that were having a hard time and like, how can we help that kid? I, uh, I spoke to a group of teachers out of this like teacher's academy and one of the teachers is like, who would do this at my school? And they thought through it. They're like, I think it would be this kid. And I was like, wow, that's really troubling that he could identify who he thought it would be. And he's like, I'm going to go out of my way to reach out to him and show him that somebody cares. Just give him extra time and love. And I'm like, that's kind of what solves the problem. I believe in the beauty of humanity and in the caring of individual people that if we go out and say, Hey, who around me is struggling? How can I help them? That one at a time we can heal people. And if we do that, then collectively we can make a lot of change. Uh, A lot of times people want to legislate change and say, Hey, we should pass this law or pass that law. I don't think you can legislate kindness or love. And I feel like those things are kind of the root of the problem. I, uh, I look at some of the bad things that are going on in the world and I just say like, you know, I know that there's more good people out there than bad people. And I do have hope. And there's so many beautiful acts that don't get reported. So many great things going on that people have never heard about. Like the only parts of my life that people hear about are the, oh, you were locked in a freezer or got beat up or at Columbine or your friend committed suicide. And the things that are beautiful, my daughter just going on a scooter ride with me to say goodbye, you know, don't get reported on. And so I know there's so much beauty out there and we can spread that. Oh, well, you know, thank you so much for this incredibly vulnerable, you know, heartbreaking, but really ultimately hopeful conversation. And I do want to take a minute to honor the families in my home state in South Florida at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. Um, we ha- were, my husband and I, and, you know, the whole Miami Heat family got to be really involved in that recovery and healing process. And this isn't something that only happens to other people, unfortunately, and it does happen in our backyards. And, you know, it's something, it's a scary, scary thing. And, you know, from this conversation, like, I'm just, I'm grateful that even through like the darkest moments that we can still find the silver linings and still find the hope. After the shooting at Columbine, uh, we had this night where it was in a rival high school. They, uh, let us take over their gym and a bunch of Colorado Rockies, Colorado Avalanche, 
Denver Nuggets, Denver Broncos came, and they just hung out with us. And Todd Helton was like a one, maybe like second year player at the time. He was a really young player, but I absolutely knew who he was. He was like my favorite player on the Rockies, and he just sat next to me. And I was like, "Oh, cool," you know. And we we're talking and hanging out like he was just like my best friend. And I was like so blown away by it. And I met uh, Amy Van Dyken, who was like a four-time Olympic swimmer. She was there, and or gold medal winner, and just how much joy I got out from doing that kind of thing in that time. And so, like when you guys give back to those kids at down at Marjorie Stoneman, like it's a huge thing. They'll never forget it. I still have like Todd Helton's shirt autographed. It's like this. Don't, like the shirt I was wearing, I was like, hey, can you sign this? I still have it. You know, I have all these like different athletes on it. And so it means a lot when you guys give back and do that kind of thing. I have a couple of friends from Marjorie Stoneman too that, you know, when that happened, I have a, you know, on my social media, a lot of kids reach out to me like every week. They're like, here's what I'm going through. Help me out with this, you know? And so I have a few friends who've reached out from there and I was just like, just so empathetic to them. Overwhelming. Well, I think that you sharing your story is is super powerful. It's incredibly powerful. Will, I know that I got sober because a person shared their story of sobriety with me, you know, and that gave me hope and it made me feel less alone. And I know that in some capacity, like, well, I believe that this show, The No, is about that. It's about camaraderie. It's about coming to a place of deep inner knowing within ourselves and being able to connect with other people who've been able to find that too, whether you're in the light or in the dark. So I appreciate you so much. I admire you so much. I know the amount of vulnerability that it takes to like pour your heart open and show everybody the painful bits. So thank you because you know you never know who you're helping. You truly, you never know who you're helping by sharing your story. And I think that's incredibly powerful. Yeah. Thank you so much. I, uh, I, I do this because I want to help. I know there's a lot of pain. Uh, if people do feel a need and want to talk through it or just exchange a message, I'm more than happy to have people reach out and just want people to know like, hey, it does get better. Where can people find you? Uh, I'm on Instagram, WFBeck83 or, you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, Will Beck. It's, awesome. That's me. Will, thank you so much. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by Sana Skin Studio. Be sure to use my code, the no glow for $25 off of your first facial at Sana when booking via sanaskinstudio.com. More than a skin studio, Sana is a movement towards healthier skin and self-love. Thank you so much for listening to The No. If you loved this episode, go ahead and share it with a friend. Words are so powerful and someone may need to hear what we covered today. And if you really loved this episode, please take a moment to rate the show and leave a review. Your comments are so important and valued and they give other listeners insight on what to expect on The Know. You can connect with me personally via Instagram at Nikki Sap Spo and The Know with Nikki Spo. My hope for you today is that you are fearless in looking inward so that you can be your highest, most authentic self and go after the life of your dreams. Mm-hmm.